When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio, with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to your post-match Raw on Anfield Index Pro, podcasting to you from my field here in beautiful rural Ireland. I'm Trev Downey and joining me to give their immediate reactions to Liverpool 3, Burnley 1 in the Premier League from Anfield are Dave Hendrick and Jim Boardman. And Dave, you probably watched, like I did, uh, the coverage uh, supplied by Premier Sports, or perhaps you managed to watch one of your uh, preferred American networks. Uh, we were treated to Kenny Cunningham and, um, oh, I can't think of the other lad's name. It's just escaped me for a second, uh, as well as an absolute treat of a commentary team um, featuring Gary Breen. It was the most down... Um, Beat, pessimistic, gloomy, especially Kenny Cunningham's uh, um, assessment at the end. Now, listen, we watched there a game, Dave, that was at times a difficult watch for Liverpool fans. But one, aside from the good chances coughed up, that the result was never in question in, surely. I was lucky enough uh, to avoid what sounds like an absolutely terrible afternoon with <laughs> Kenny and Gary. We had many, many is the terrible experience watching Kenny and Gary play football together. So I'd have no interest in any uh, production of football that involves the two of them clowns. But uh, I did have Stephen Warnock, who is undeniably a terrible set of lads in his own, in his own right. <laughs> he is. And he was so negative about Liverpool as well. It was genuinely hilarious. Like you said, it wasn't an easy game. They made it very tough. Like, let's give Burnley a little bit of credit here. Like, you know, you're Kenny Cunningham. You spent your career toiling away with with lower end of the Premier League teams. Same for Gary Breen. Same for Stephen Warnock. You know, you, you were a player that was involved in relegation scraps. You should be looking at Burnley going to Anfield there with a very young team and given as good as they got for the first, well, the first half anyway, and never letting the heads drop. And that should be the team that you're taking out of this to talk about it. Like if Burnley could continue to play like that, they'll grow in confidence. They'll get some results. And while it might not be enough, enough to keep them up, at least they could end the season on a bit of a high. And instead you choose to focus on Liverpool, who, Yes, they struggled today. They were missing nine senior players to begin the game. Yeah. 
and then Trent had to go off at half time. Like, it blows my mind that they they just won't look at the bigger picture. That's a Liverpool team missing Alison Becker, an undeniable starter, Ibu Kanate, an un- undeniable starter, Joe Gomez, who you could make a really strong case has been our best defender this season, mm-hmm. even with Virgil being back to being Virgil. Trent clearly not a hundred percent. A twenty-year-old who's still a baby and was playing League One last season, slotted into centre back. A midfield with a fellow who's just come back from the Asian Cup, having played a bunch of international games in a short period of time. No Dominic Zabozlai, who's an undeniable starter. No Mohamed Salah, who may well be the best player in the league. And yet, they're just looking at it and going as as if we're there with full-strength team. And none of them are acknowledging the fact that if you took the goalkeeper, starting centre-back, best midfielder and best attacker out of any other team in the Premier League, any other team, that they would struggle really badly. But when it's us, they don't factor these things in. Kevin De Bruyne missed half the season. All I heard watching City games was, oh, you can see how much they miss De Bruyne. (laughs) Erling Haaland misses a month. Look how much they miss Haaland. They miss that outlet, that focal point in attack. But when it's us, we don't get that. Oh, Liverpool are really struggling here. They look flat. I swear to God, if I'd heard Stephen Warnock say they look (laughs) flat again, I'd have pulled the ears off him and beaten him to death with his own lobes. Like, fuck me. What a dickhead. Well, if it makes you feel any better, Kenny weighed in with um, Owen, the guy who used to do the radio show, the very popular um, second captain's radio show. Uh, is the is the host on Premier Sport, and he said something about you know the to be fair there was a bout of flu that afflicted the squad. Kenny goes weak, <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> weak. Now fair play to the other lad was Damien Delaney, uh, who is this lantern jawed ex Ireland footballer uh, who well, is clearly a good lad. Yeah. And to be fair to Damien, you just every next time you have a look at Damien, think of Glenn Quagmire from Family Guy. It is almost <laughs> identical jawlines. Uh, but yeah, and listen, and look, let, let me bring Jim in here uh, for your initial thoughts as well, Jim, before we, we get too bogged down anywhere. It's it absolutely tremendous um, three points to take. And as I saw someone point out on Twitter, they will all feel like that. Um, Every one that we managed to get and having not got them the last time out, having been you know, kind of underwhelming in our performance and uh, it being against Arsenal as well. There was a lot hanging on us getting the result today. It felt sort of like, to me, a little bit inevitable, the whole Anfield environment and all the rest of it. But I think there's extra kudos when you have to hang in there. And then what the payoff is, is a Darwin Nunes goal at the end to kind of solidify things. And we really did turn the screw when the substitutes came on. Harvey Elliott in particular was absolutely fantastic, I thought. Um, Curtis Jones having to go to right back, I thought he did fantastic stuff. I have seen, Jim, people, including the aforementioned Kenny Cunningham, talk about um, Endo, do a big wince and say again, you know, don't fancy him. Um, but I thought that lad and Mac had great outings again. Um these were a team who are really, really up for it, as Dave says. And you take every win you can get. And again, let's just mention uh, Big Queevee and Kelleher. 
I said before the game, he has to have a big one. And it was looking a little bit dodgy, but he made some fantastic saves. And even those opportunities uh, that Fofana had, I thought he did brilliantly on both, made himself very big and uh, a proper obstacle. Just lots and lots for us to to, to lean into there in terms of um, positives. Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, in terms of the commentary and coverage as well, I think I had the same as you. I think I had Premier Sports. Must have been some atmospherics because obviously we don't normally get that over here. But um also babysitting for the six-month-old granddaughter who's teething. Her cheeks were redder than <laughs> Liverpool shirts. And thankfully, I didn't hear much of the crap they came out with. So uh, it was good. It was like watching the match without commentary. But I did hear the odd bit creep in. Um, one of my favourite bits was when Darwin got 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 brought down. Um, there was no replay, and the commentator was sure that Darwin had just not got away with whatever it was he was trying to get away with um, in the referee's mind. You know, instead of saying, you know, he just knew that Darwin was clearly, obviously falling to the floor on purpose in some kind of fake fake dive. Um, but yeah, the, the game itself. Arsenal beat us, you think it's a blip, you're telling each other it's a blip, you're convinced it's just a blip, and you need to prove it by going out the next game and, and winning again, and um, another home fixture, another two-goal two lead, if you like, another win by a two-goal margin. Um, yeah, we, we had moments where we weren't great, but that's been the story of the season. Um, it's easy to forget how many roars that there have been, where the, the conversation has been, you know, great, we've got the three points, but there's going to be at least one section of that podcast each time where we talk about the bad bit um and the bad bit is usually maybe the first 20 minutes sometimes um so that's happened again and as much as it kind of makes us mad when we're sort of watching it at the end of the match if you've got the three points you know you can live with the way it was delivered much more um than you can live with the defeat that was de- delivered with with awful performances if you like so um I'm, I'm pleased with what we did i'm pleased to see Kelleher. i mean there's another person who's had much discussion on these podcasts because it feels like his career is going down the pan potentially because he doesn't play enough for us he doesn't get enough experience for us and no wonder because ali's obviously way ahead of him but from liverpool you know being selfish as a liverpool fan or being selfish as a club it's good to have him on the bench that he's a player who can come on slot in at goalkeeper and make us miss Ali a lot less than we might do. Um, you know, we, we've all seen clubs down the years who lose the main goal, uh, main goalkeeper and have to bring some buffoon on instead and just end up messing up the season because of a, you know, a three game absence of the main man. So it's good to have him. Um, it's good to have the players who can slot back in. I know we're still not right. I mean, as you mentioned, Trent went off, you know, Robo's not going to be hundred percent. That would have been a big game for him today to play as much as he did. Um, the other thing is though, you, as you mentioned, we brought subs on. It's a luxury, you know, for the last month or two, we've been talking about having two or three recognised first team players on the bench and one of them being Gravenberch if he's not starting. And it's been sort of, there's not been a lot of inspiration available from the bench. Um, today there was. And I think what I like about it is when, when they are brought on is when they take the chance because, you know, we're getting nearer to cup finals. There might be a second cup final. There might be a third cup final. We're getting nearer to big games. Maybe all the games are going to be cup finals. And you want to see all of these players just put everything into every game and, make it hard for the manager to decide who to leave out and I think we're getting more and more to that point I mean if, if we completely forget about last weekend I'm loving this role that we're on at the moment I think I think the only healthy thing to do is to forget about last weekend <laughs> you know you, you're over the course of a season those kind of afternoons will happen 
And, you know, also, this is something we can probably skip through quite quickly. I might just stay with it, you and I, and, and talk about the Liverpool lineup because we've already mentioned Kelleher's selection. We, we had several lads who were afflicted with some sort of flu. Um, lots of us can relate currently to, um, how horrible that is. And, um, you know, I thought there might be one or two of the lads who even started today. I was starting to worry a little bit about Darwin in that first half, uh, who probably were, actually um afflicted as well but we went today jim the best way we could i don't think klopp had any choice and when you see that bench you mentioned we can understand it so it's kelleher and goal it's the old back uh, um, uh fullbacks of uh, trent and robo um kwanza comes in for um uh, Ibu and Van Dyke is alongside him. It's uh, Mac and Endo and Curtis Jones in midfield. In a midfield, I don't think anyone could argue with that's a no. that's a midfield that you possibly might have selected regardless of who was fit. And then you've got Jota, Nunes, and Diaz. And again, you know, obviously Mo is there to come back in, but that's as strong as we could be otherwise, assuming they're all feeling strong. But when we look at the bench, the, there is a little bit of a tail off there because. Obviously, Adrian's on there, um, and Rozek, but we've got Gakpo, Elliot, and Simicus, and Gravenberg. Now, um, three of them came on and did bits. Bobby Clark came on as well. McConnell came on as well, but that was more tokenistic. Kumas is on there as well. That is not. That is not a, an awe-inspiring bench. However, the lads who did come on did very well, particularly Harvey. So I think it's very, very hard to argue with Jurgen's selection. I don't see that there's actually anything else he could have done there in terms of who might have started that match that would have made it better, um, given the selection uh, restrictions that we're facing them, Jim. Yeah, exactly. And I think if it wasn't for the restrictions, then maybe there'd have been some sort of, you know, messages being sent out about with the lineup about who didn't play well last weekend you know maybe people would have come in but he's not got that luxury really at the moment he just needs to look who's available and where can I put them and I think that's pretty much the it is the lineup I'd have gone with um given the injuries and given the the absences through illness and hopefully um whatever that is I think we've got another week off now haven't we so hopefully that clears up and it's all out the way um I think the rule at Anfield should be wear a mask. Uh, sorry, at the training ground should be wear a mask, but don't come in if you're feeling ill. Um, none of this sort of waiting until you're really, really ill to tell everyone that you've got a bug. Just stay home and keep it to yourself. Um, but yeah, I mean, back four picked itself. Um, and I think under, under normal circumstances, we'd really have been perfectly happy with the back four. My only worry about it today was that sort of rustiness from the two fullbacks. Um, Quance has been, I think, has been excellent for this for us this season. It feels like he's our third choice centre back, and as you know, the only issue with that perhaps is that uh, maybe Gomez could jump ahead of him if he's fit and well, and the two fullbacks are playing. Um, and you know, and then you start thinking about the other players. We've got um, Connor Bradley, so we know, you know, we're not there yet, but we're sort of getting towards a point where we're going to have this luxury of, of choices. Um, and of course, yeah, I think everybody would have been crying out for Endo to start today if he was ready so that McAllister could be released into a different role. And, um, you know, he maybe took a little while to settle in, but we we knew by the time we knew he was going to be going away for his international work that we knew that we were going to miss him. And it's fair to say that, that we have. Um, I don't think he played too badly today, considering, um, you know, he's been away doing different things for a while. He, he was settling in. I don't think he got booked for it. I think his booking was harsh. I'm pretty sure um that wasn't right but there you go it's it's football and the front three yeah i mean of the four we had they're the three i think you'd go with um and that's no disrespect to gapo i just think those 
those three offer the right mix between them of what we need. Um, you know, the right options, the right sort of interchangeability and um, the right hunger. But, you know, having Gapo on the bench is, is such a handy tool to have. Yeah. The, the, on end though, I think he got monstered once by um, Berger in the, um, towards the end of the game. Uh, apart from that, I thought the lab was very solid and I wouldn't really bow to anyone on that. I didn't see any massive issues. Uh, in fact, I was just happy with the fella. It's good to see him back. And like you'd said, he very much made his way into, um, if not an absolutely automatic starter, very much a first team rotation option. And you might, Dave, I mean, just think about, you might mention him on the goal, but I just think it's one of those things. He wasn't the tallest player. Um, yeah, it, yeah, that's, that's, that's yeah, that's the other one that's going to get thrown. Um, does he, does he do enough in terms of a, a challenge on O'Shea? And that's a perfectly valid point, but we'll get to that when we're doing the details of the match. And Dave, you and I just have a quick look at Burnley and obviously Vincent company, um, has a little bit of something about him. You know, they, they came up, didn't they, with some sort of record points total or close mm. to it. And, um, you can see that there are really, really like some of their footballers. You know, they've got like that lad for fan up top on a different day. He could have a hat trick against Liverpool. And that's, you know, that's not to be sniffed at. And obviously there's our countryman there as well who got his goal and did reasonably well. They have Trafford who I saw Cy Brundish absolutely taking the skin off, uh, in terms of saying that he wasn't up to the task at this level in goal. Um, Asignan who, was very much to the fore in the game, um, regardless of what you thought of his performance. Uh, O'Shea, um, Esteve and uh, Delacroix, uh, Brownhill, Berger, who I mentioned already, and Ramsey, Odebert, Fafana, and um, Dooney. There's, you know, some talent there. There's some pace there. There's a little bit of flair there, but mostly I'm, I was so much surprised by how, um, they were reminiscent a little bit of dice ball in terms of they were quite solid, you know, in mm. terms of they were hard for us to break down. They did have bits going forward, but then they did under dice as well. On the bench, they have Cork, who's I think been there a long time, Rodriguez, Benson, Ekdal, Vitinho, Cullen, Brun, Larson, who came on, Masengo and Murik. Um, not names to uh, send the fear of God into you, to be fair. Are you that person who has everything? the coolest merch, and those must-have fan threads. Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise, and a license with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. No, I mean, the bench isn't going to scare anybody. Masengo um, is a useful player. Josh Collins, one of our countrymen, he's a decent player. There's a lot of decent players in the bench. Like they're solid. Yeah, they're good enough to play in the Premier League type of guys. But I, I do like a lot of what's in that starting eleven. I think that Estevay kid looks like he's got something about him. He's six three. He's quick. He's comfortable on the ball. You know, he's only there on loan. Um, but I'd imagine they'd like to keep him long term because finding high quality left sided centre backs is is quite tough. Dara O'Shea. 
he's a solid, reliable centre-back. I like both of them. The issue is neither of them are really lead centre-backs. They're kind of your secondary centre-backs. They're more your Ibu in Esteve's case because he's so young, in O'Shea's case because that's just what he is. He's a dirty work centre-back. They don't have that kind of organiser, the talker, the guy who's going to get players where they meant to be. Both fullbacks are solid. They're not great, but they're solid. I disagree with Brundish. I think Trafford is a good goalkeeper. The issue is he's not good on crosses because he's physically, he's physically not there. From a, from a talent point of view, I don't think there's any question that he's good enough. Like his shot stopping, his athleticism, he's good with his feet. He's very, very comfortable having the ball played back to him under a press. I think he's a, I think he's going to be a good goalkeeper. Um, I, I would wager a significant amount he has a significantly better career than Quivin. He's four years younger than Quivin. When Quivin was his age, what was he doing? Mm-hmm. Certainly wasn't playing week in, week out in the Premier League. Certainly not. Um, and Quivin has still got ricks in his game, you know. So like young goalkeepers just take a while to get going. The two boys in the middle of the park, Berger and Brownhill, they're full of graft. There's a decent amount of physicality to them. Both have a decent bit of technical ability, but I mean they're just they're just there to act as facilitators. But the other four I really like. I really like Aaron Ramsey. He didn't have a great game today. He's the younger brother of Jacob Ramsey at Villa. And he's a very, very technically gifted player. And he does have a good eye for goal. I think in time he's going to develop into a really good player. Odebert is someone that I, I would imagine we will have on a watch list because he's only like 19. And you can see when he picks the ball up and gets going, like he, he skinned Trent a couple of times. He made um, Kwanzaa look quite poor in that one uh, 1v1 between the two of them and Kwanzaa picked up the yellow card. Like you mentioned, Fafana, he's an unknown from Chelsea. He's got pace. He's a, bu- a bustling kind of striker. You know, he's, he's in and about bodies. He's able to knock people off the balance. If he figures it out in front of goal, he could be a real player. And I don't know why, but I really like Amdoni. Now, he didn't play well today. But there's just something about his style that I really like. And I think he could be a really good second striker. So, like, there is talent there. It's not a lack of talent that has them where they are. It's it's a lack of key personnel. There's no lead centre-back to organise. And there's no reliable goal scorer. In the summer, they went and they bought a whole bunch of wingers and didn't get anybody that could actually convert the chances. They're also very young. Like that back four, Dara O'Shea is the oldest. He's 24, maybe 25 now. But like that's a very young back line with a very young goalkeeper. In midfield, Brownhill is 28, Berg is about 25. The two wingers are 19 and 21. The two boys up front are like 21, 22. It's a really young team. Does company strike you as the man who's going to be able to maybe evolve with that team and, yeah. and get to the next level and, and be, be one of the rare, excellent footballers who makes an excellent man? I, he's had a weird career so far. So he took over at Anderlecht and he was the player manager and then he didn't like doing that. So he just sort of handed off the management duties to Simon Davies, I think, and somebody else. And. It was a bit of an inauspicious start because they'd sacked a manager to bring in company. And then he took over as manager and it was, it was very much a mixed bag. Like it was a very mixed bag, but he was, he took over at Anderlecht at a time where they were just in a, in a low ebb. 
And to his credit, he solidified them. He improved them. He developed a couple of good young players. And he left them in a better position than he found them, which is all you really ask of a manager. He took over Burnley after, a, what, a decade, 11 years or something of Sean Dyche. Very much a Burnley ingrained in Dyche Bull. And within one summer, completely revolutionized the club. Out with all the agricultural stuff, in with footballers, in with technical ability. And last season, like the football they played was completely unrecognizable from anything we'd seen from Burnley in the entirety of the Dyche era. And I'm not one that thinks Sean Dyche is a dinosaur. I actually think Sean Dyche's teams play okay football. They've got obviously quite agricultural principles. But they do play a decent bit of ball when they get it down and get it moving. But under company last year, Burnley were playing fantastic football. And it wasn't like a thing that they just, you know, they they won the championship, but you were sort of like, oh, they they weren't all that impressive. Like they ran amok in the championship last year. 101 points, only three defeats from 46 games. Now, to put that in context, the next lowest was eight. The team who finished second lost 11 games and finished 10 points behind them. They ran through the championship and made it look very, very easy. One of their defeats came when they'd already been promoted in the last four games. So, like, they were exceptionally good in the championship. They're one of the best championship teams I've seen in the last 20 years. The issue is they came up, and I think he just made too many changes. I think they tried to get the wheels moving a little bit too quickly. When you look at someone like Luton, they've come up, they've kept a lot of the same players that brought them up. They've kept the same sort of mentality and mindset and continuity and team spirit. Whereas with Burnley, they went with a real youth movement, a lot of young players coming in, which if you think back 12 months, we'd seen Southampton try going with that youth movement that summer and it ended up with them getting relegated. Burnley tried to repeat it. It's going to end up with them relegated. The difference here, I think, and this is the difference I feel with with them and Sheffield United as well, who also look dead and buried. I think if Burnley go down, you're looking at one or two additions, keep this young core together, develop it under company, continue to play your football, and come back up a much better team with a battle-hardened group of young players who've already got now two seasons at Burnley under their belt by the time they come back up. And they should be in a position where they don't need to do a whole lot upon re-entry to the Premier League. There is a precedent for that sort of Norwich. Yeah, Norwich yeah. would be the precedent, yeah. Norwich would be the precedent. And, and I could see them doing that. If they're willing to give company the time, I could see them doing that and coming back up and being one of those newly promoted teams that, like, just finishes 13th. There's nothing spectacular. They don't... You know, they don't challenge for Europe or anything. It's not like a, a Bielsa leads a, a Nuno Wolves type of situation where they're, you know, the top half and they're going for Europe. It's just one of those kind of like Fulham last year. They come up, minimal fuss, not in any relegation battle. They just end up in 13th and they're all very happy and they can build from there. They've got, to, they've got to have the long-term thinking, haven't they? They've not got to see yeah. getting promoted and then coming down straight away as a failure. That's not, it was, it was actually a success to get promoted and it gave you a taste of what things are like, gave you, you know, a chance to make some mistakes, try things out and then, okay, 
regroup, you know, we go down, regroup, come back again with all of that knowledge that you picked up on your Exactly, exactly. And, and while the players are improving, company will be improving himself. He'll be learning. I think there is something about him. I don't know that he's going to be a top, top manager, but I certainly think he's going to be a good manager. Like I think who his assistants are as well. Yeah, that's the thing. Do you know? I think he's got, I think he's got decent principles. I think he played under some good managers, a good variety of managers, Mancini, Pellegrini, obviously Pep. So he's, he's clearly taken bits and pieces from all of them and from the different managers he played for, uh, for the, the national team and, and before he joined City with Hamburg and that. And he's just sort of like he's, he's only. What, four years in, three years into his managerial career? I think it's four years now at the, with this season. Like, that's still a baby in managerial terms. Like, he looks like he could still be playing for fuck's sake. He does, to be fair. And listen, beneath that ball cap, as a fellow ball cap enthusiast, I, 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 I'm not digging him out for that. As a fellow baldy, I'm not digging him out for that. But beneath that, ball cap there is quite a sizable head yeah and there's probably a lot of information that can be put in there uh so if he's willing to learn it i wouldn't be surprised to see him do what he's saying come back and slowly establish and we should mention briefly uh the fact that today's match was refereed by one tim robinson uh his first time uh refereeing liverpool so those of us who are inclined to have pre-prepared comments about referees were at a bit of a loss except for the wonderful twitter observation by my pal on there uh cj who said that she, she said that he looked like the most nailed on copper that she'd ever seen. In fact, if she was to draw a picture of what a copper would look like, it was him. And I just thought, yeah, that's pretty spot on. I do like yeah. that. Uh, you could picture been pulled over again, the little <laughs> yeah. tap at the window. Do you know how quick you were going? You, exactly. You absolutely could exactly. picture that. To be fair yeah. to him, he didn't have a bad game. He didn't have a good game. He didn't have a good game <laughs> in the first half. But I thought in the second half, he sort of seemed... He seemed to settle down as Liverpool settled down. Yeah, he was trying to do the let the game flow thing, but unfortunately, yeah. unfortunately for us, uh, just we we have the heir apparent to Mo Salah in terms of uh, clearly assaulted and nothing given uh, is now the title that is honourably bestowed upon Darwin Nunes. More of which later. And Jim, if you and I take the first say thirty minutes up as far as the goal, um, because I think that's a fair enough chunk of time, uh, we can just blitz through what happened in that early part of the first half well the first I guess two thirds of it um Quivian gets a good early touch. They, they have a little bit of a half shot and he holds on to it as well, which is good. Then Fafana gets in behind. He's offside and sort of loops one onto the top of the bar. Um, a little bit uncomfortable as a beginning in Anfield. On nine minutes then, Quivian has to come out to the feet of Amdouni, who has skinned Virgil and is in on goal. And to be fair, it's a very good solid hand he gets on it. Now, He's very much there for to the four. The first moment he holds the ball, the second one, it was like he was he was staggering back a bit. Would he have got to it? Would he not have got to it? Who knows? And then he comes out with this decisive action. And I found that quite heartening. It certainly woke the crowd up, that save by Quivian on nine minutes. Um, they had been, you know, all party atmosphere to start and then it had settled into a little bit of a, why are they, why do they have the ball? Why are they attacking kind of atmosphere at Anfield that we've all experienced? Um, <laughs> 
there were some chances on 10 minutes consecutive dangerous crosses by Robbo and Trent as we started to do a few things uh, on 12 minutes Trent uh, had a, a drive over the top after a great break that was led by Luis Diaz then on 13 minutes O'Shea picks up a yellow card for sort of pricking around with the ball on the field and leaving on the field it's essentially a time wasting yellow card um, on 14 minutes is that one where I was talking about where Darwin was clearly in- assaulted uh, nothing. Uh, 15 minutes, Curtis hits a half volley over the top from a Robbo knockdown. Then Trent puts in a decent ball on the, in the direction of Darwin on about 17 minutes, but there's just too much on it. Um, he can't quite get there. Kwanzaa, as Dave mentioned early on, has to pick up a yellow on 19 minutes. He's in late on Odebert, um, who is breaking down the flank and Kwanzaa has to kind of take one for the team. He's caught by Olibert's burst of pace. Uh, you know, and we know Kwanzaa is no uh, slouch or, as the premier uh, sports commentator would have it, Kwanzaa for some reason. <laughs> uh, I was wondering about Darwin at that stage because of his lack of involvement. And I'm just so happy that as the match went on, uh, his energy levels, if anything, increased uh, and his involvement certainly did. We started to turn the screw a little bit on the half hour mark. There was some good pressure. It led to a corner and from that corner on 31, Jim, we do go 1-0 up. It is Jota. It's a Trent corner. It's an outswinger. The keeper's sort of flapping uh, and Jota is comparatively unchallenged, but he's very good in the air for a comparatively not a giant of a man and he heads down at home and we're one nil up and it does feel as if we're off to the races what'd you make of that first half hour yeah i mean i would say at least the first 20 minutes we were um you know we we, we hadn't properly turned up we weren't as bad as we have been sometimes but it felt like we'd you know and maybe even even there's a feeling amongst the fans was that that thing of um you know these are down at the bottom of the table so all we need to do today is turn up wait and take home our three points you know and it's not it's not how it works you've still got to come and get your three points um even though you know every, every single one of us would say we should be getting those three points you don't just get them and i don't know what it is it's just something that seems to happen to liverpool these these days that um you know i'd love to see it coming straight out and going for the throw with the opponent and just getting the game sort of not sewn up but my god you know well under control within the first 10, 20 minutes, but we don't, we sort of hang around for the first 10, 20 minutes. Um, that's what it feels like. Um, and it is fair play to Burnley. I mean, they're definitely a different side to the one under Dyche. And I mean, I get what David says in that, you know, you're right. Dyche wasn't just the sort of Neil Warnock, um, in, you know, we inherited all Neil Warnock's traits, you know, there's more to him than that. Um, but even so, it was always a sort of rough and tumble game and, um, you know, not, <laughs> not always necessarily looking for a win more, not looking to lose, waiting for set pieces. And this isn't how Burnley play. You know, they, they, they can be robust when they're being attacked, but they've got this ability going forward. And um, I'm sure Klopp was aware of it, but it felt like, it felt like we weren't aware of it. And we were a little bit caught off guard, but great. I mean, Kreese probably, you know, on, on that same basis of what I'm saying, if we were playing, you think Kreese might be thinking, right, well, I'm, I'm playing today, but I've not got to do a lot more work than I do when I'm on the bench and I'll still get my paycheck. Well, you know, he definitely earned his paycheck today and he earned it early on. Um, and I think it's, it's easy to sort of underestimate how important those moments are in a game because, you know, for a team like Liverpool, you're always thinking of the goals. You're always thinking of the goals you're scoring, always thinking of the attacking movements. But you need to know that it's safe at the back. Um, and I felt that we were pretty safe at the back today, apart from that, that one lapse, which was from a set piece. Um, 
I think once we got past that sort of 20 minute mark, it was like we'd woken up and we did start to get more of the ball and do more with it. And I think my first reaction to the goal, apart from being made up for the goal, obviously, and who scored it was, it's good to have Trent back on set pieces. Um, you know, for all the, all the debate you can have about whether he should be right back on central midfield, whether, um, he should have the hybrid role, whether he's playing as well as we'd expect, all, all of these things that we, we talk about with Trent, um, his set pieces are, are something that we've definitely, definitely missed. Um, game after game over the last, you know, month or so, um, you've, you've seen different people come up and take set pieces in, in corners and it's just not, just not had that same impact. Um, today was an example of why, why he gets to take so many corners. And we've had so many good moments, obviously, Champions League moments and all the rest because of Trent being on a corner. Um, it, it's, 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 you know, it's just another dimension to the game, another way of us getting in front of a team that, um, that defend well. And we did it. And okay. I mean, I don't want to talk too much about set pieces because they weren't all great for us today, but that one, you know, the, the ones that we took, that one I was made up with. Can I just ask if yourself or Dave or anyone at this point, because you've brought Trent up <clears throat> and there's not long left. Uh, we've got the second ha- part of the second half, Dave and I, to talk about in a second. Um, but he went AWOL then at half time, and I have heard nothing. I don't see anything. I don't know if there was any comments. Was it, was it illness? Is it an injury? Does anyone know what his withdrawal was for? Because the, I, can't, I can't believe it was minutes or something. The commentator on the coverage I was watching on the USA Network said that it was an injury precaution and then Stephen Warnock said, well, there has been an outbreak of the flu in the squad, so maybe he's under the weather. So it, it, that that very well could quote, be the case. He, he didn't here, look right. Quote here from Klopp. Um, same area in the knee. Nothing really bad, but he felt it again. We have to see. We were made aware of it, so we thought what we can do. Trent said, no, it's fine, but it's not as he feels it, so we had to be careful. So um sounds like he probably wouldn't have even started if we'd not had other players missing. Um, but we took a chance on starting and that's what it sounds like to me. Yeah. Um, hopefully yeah. the precaution was worth taking. And, and to be fair to Jones, just, I'm sure we'll come on to him. Saw him play it right back against Leicester in the League Cup earlier in the season. Um, yeah. I wasn't expecting him to, but he did and he did okay. You know, so it, he's, if you got to the point where Jones is at right back, you've really started to sort of scrape the barrel in terms of how many players you've got missing, but it's good to know he's another, another one who can at least, at least step in and do something. For sure, it was uh, the, well, at least Fab can do this or that kind of option. And it's great to have lads like that in the team. And Dave, if you and I take it from um, going 1-0 up to the end of the first half, it's a slightly different feel to this section of the match. And you may want to reach back into the first half of the first half and feel free to if you do. Um, <clears throat> the first thing of note that happens after we go 1-0 up is Endo picks up a yellow card. But Endo picks up a yellow card after Darwin had been dragged down to the floor by Asinia in front of the ref, our friend the copper, and nothing was given. He did a sort of grandiose play on wave, and it was absurd. Now, I think later on, Jota tries to fool him uh, with a little bit of a of a, of a, of, a, of a sort of a clever inverted commas stroke cheating trick. But this was just plain absolute, you know, the usual assault we see on Mo and Darwin. Um, and he plays on, and all of a sudden, then Endo is in a situation where he's picking up a yellow card, and it mm. just it, it, these are the kind of things that kind of stick in your craw a little bit. Anyway, we'll blitz on thirty six minutes. Robbo is played in by Curtis. Um, Curtis has an effort that's blocked by O'Shea. 
Then on through seven minutes, pretty much straight afterwards, Darwin pops in across. Uh, Diaz shot is saved more or less brilliantly, point blank, with a one-handed save by uh, their keeper. And again, it's a good stop, to be fair. Um, that point is where uh, the cross came into the box and we saw Jota. I think what he does is he kind of hooks his arm around Delcroix and... Um, goes down and sort of brings him with him. It looked to me like a canny move. I sta- I, I, I'm open to be st- uh, uh, to be corrected on that. Kloppo got booked, but I didn't realise what for because I was doing a rewind <coughs> on the live stream because I wanted to see what happened with the Jota thing. So I presume it was for mouth and it usually is. Uh, on 40 minutes, Odebert cut in from the left, had a drive across the face of goal. And then we saw Luis Diaz have a kind of a swivel shot on target, but it was very much a token effort after some decent build-up play on 43 minutes. So overall, we are very much kind of um, hammering home our advantage with the exception of that one Odebert shot. Robbo then has an opportunity. He, he's very good in a 1v1. Sorry, in, defensively, he's very good in a 1v1 versus uh, Ramsey on 44 minutes. That leads to a corner. And... That leads to a goal because it's O'Shea who gets up. We mentioned earlier on the closest man to him is Endo and he puts his head right in the top bins. I don't think there's any blame can be apportioned to Kelher. I don't think any goalie's really saving that or you have to be a hell of a shot stopper. It's right in that postage stamp area. Uh, and the, the half ended in the injury time with, uh, Luis Diaz volley after some good play off a corner for us. Um, it felt Really, if we're being fair, like they had sort of poached that little foothold in the game, Dave, I think that's fair enough in the balance of play. I felt they deserved a goal. I I felt they deserved to go in level, to be honest, on balance of play. They were the better team until we scored. Like they just were. They were the better team until we scored. And then we were the better team and then they scored, which is just so typical of us. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the Darwin, uh, the drag on Darwin really annoyed me because it wasn't the first time that that had happened. No. There had been two or three other occasions. Um, there was one where Alexis got pulled and dragged a couple of times while trying to turn on the ball. Curtis had been dragged at least once while trying to turn on the ball. And I, I suppose we, we do ask for consistency. So at least he was being consistently bad with that. But the fact that it, it ends up in a situation where Endo picks up a yellow card, that's where it's really frustrating because that's our defensive midfielder. He's going to be involved in challenges and now he's going to have to walk the tightrope on a yellow card. So that could have had a hugely negative effect on us in the overall scheme of the game. Thankfully, it didn't. It actually seemed to have a really positive effect on Endo in in the same way it used to have on Fab. Remember when Fab would get booked after like 15 minutes? And you'd be like, oh, we're getting a 9 out of 10 Fabinho performance now. He's going to be unbelievable. Super focused, yeah. And yeah, and that's kind of what it seemed to do for, for, uh, for Endo today. Um, I don't think you can blame Kelleher at all. His footwork. So the ball comes across and obviously he takes a step to follow the ball and he sort of does that thing where he kind of bounces. You know, like when keepers, you see keepers bounce before they set themselves. And he's sort of mid-bounce as O'Shea heads it. So he has to land and then try and spring. And unfortunately for him, it just, it was too good a header. Like, it is a genuinely outstanding header, to be fair. And 
I don't think there's many goalkeepers saving it. I really don't. So I wouldn't put any blame on Kelleher at all. I don't think he expected that kind of power header from, from where that ball was. Like, he must be 16, 17 yards out when he heads that. What do you down. make of the challenge, the challenges um, uh, pull in against him or lack thereof? It, it felt like Endo got left with two and mm. one of them made the run. So Endo went with him, which is kind of what you'd want him to do because you can't be certain someone else will pick him up. Like if, let's just say who, I can't think who it was. It might have been, it might have been the other center back runs off Endo and ends up getting a free header at the front post, you're going to be going back to Endo and going, well, why the fuck didn't you go with him? So I don't think he can really win. He just he gets left in a bad situation, uh, 2v1 at the edge of the area. One of them goes, he goes with him a little bit, and unfortunately it's a, it's a free header. Somebody else should have been out there. So I would point at whoever else is standing in the vicinity not doing anything else and say, well, you should be given a bit of a dig out there, but... It's just a great header, to be fair. It's a really good corner. It's a really well-delivered corner, and it's a really good header. So, fair play. Hello. I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa. He does Anfield Index. He presents a Tad Predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL Roundtable there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yeah, and we will get a chance, I think, to talk about more of our players as we go through the second half. And I'm just looking at Jim. I think probably the best way to do this, we split it up into two kind of chunks. Um, the first one, maybe you and I might look at, you know, the early part where we go ahead, but then where they get a little foothold um, on the sort of 66, 67 minute mark, we might drop it and I'll take the rest of the half then with Dave. Um, so if we look at that first part of the first half, that intervention of bringing in Trent for or Harvey for Trent is made at half time. Uh, rare enough thing to see in a club team. So there's obviously some very specific reason and, um, hopefully we'll, we'll, um, yeah, we'll, we, we won't have any massive repercussions from this, um, injury that he's felt again. Um, there was a great early move by us, nearly got Luis Diaz in. Um, a lovely example of a switch ball by Harvey, which we're so used to seeing from Trent. Um, on the 48th minute, he pops one out to Robbo on the far side and, you like to see that because it's very much a feature of our play under Klopp. Jota then heads a corner at the keeper on 49 minutes and Darwin worries the keeper brilliantly, which leads to a kind of period of carnage and Reds pressure. Uh, we go ahead from that period of Reds pressure. Uh, it did lead to a VAR marathon 
and quite what they were looking at, I'm not sure. In fact, look, it's not going to be possible for us to to to, to get past this. We're going to have to stop here and talk about it. And I'll I'll get your take first and invite Dave in as well. And you and I'll run up to the point I said. But to basically sum it up, in the build-up to it, we saw McAllister try to hit a shot goalward. He seems to kind of air kick it and makes contact with the shin of the uh, Burnley player. Um, they were looking, I think, for that to be a foul. Then there was a load of talk and all the um, graphics that were coming up were that they were checking for offside. How it could be offside, I have no idea, um, but that's what they were trying to check. And then they seemed to be checking again for offside from Harvey's cross, which came off an opposition player again. I don't understand what they were checking. So I'm a little bit in the dark here. I'd like to get your take on that. But one way or the other, it does end up with, Harvey Elliott on the right-hand side, on his left peg, pinging one in. It comes off a leg, and Luis Diaz is sliding in to head it home. It's fantastic to see that kid do that. Um, he really needs it. We need him doing that kind of thing. Um, and we had the torture of the VAR. So just at this point, let's just get your take on the goal. And, and if Davis anything wants to say in after that, we can take him in then as well. Yeah, I mean, we came out, we came out a team that... I was just thinking, you know, last last week we um, conceded a goal. Uh, so we scored a goal just before half time, and it probably changed the plans that might have been taking place at half time, and what you know whether substitutions would have been made and all the rest of it. This time we conceded one just before half time, and it actually did us a favour. Rather than us going in at one nil thinking job done, maybe our job mostly done, it reminded us that the job's a long way from done yet, and there's still a lot to be done, and. I think it made, you know, obviously there was the substitution, but we came out a different team. Yeah. In my view, second half, you know, we made a check, you know, we, we had changed. We were playing better. Um, looking more hungry, looking hungrier, sorry, and looking ready, ready for something. And yeah, as for the goal, I, I'm not sure what happened with McAllister with the, he went down as if he'd been injured. So I don't know if that was, um, because <laughs> he knew he'd done something that wasn't great. Um, you know, play an injury yourself and you can kind of get away with it. I don't know. It was just a collision, really. And I can see why, I can see why they'd look, but I would say, you know, carry on. It's just part of football. Um, but the offsides, I couldn't, I couldn't work it out because the, the pictures we were seeing, you assume it's, and we may be wrong, you assume it's the, you know, the guys down in Stockley Park with the, the wheel winding backwards and forwards at different speeds just to see if something was, you know, an incident was what we thought because the caption said, checking for offside. And they kept just looking, seems to me, they just kept looking at this, um, at Harvey Elliott, whether he was onside and all the rest of it. And it was like, it was a quick thing. You look and think, yeah, he's onside. I don't need to draw a line. He's onside. So let's move on. And and then um, still saying offside being checked, the, the looking at the actual finish and, I, I honestly don't know what was going on. Um, and we got, to, I mean, and the thing is we, we got to see those pitches. We got, we got to see those pitches to have a bit of an idea of what was going on. The people in the ground hadn't got a clue what was going on. Um, to be honest, maybe better for them for once. The people in the ground weren't sort of subjected to what we were. Why does it take so long? And I think this thing, so many bad things about it. There's so many people want it killed. Everyone's got to be either in one camp or the other. To me, it's good with bad things in it. And one of the bad things in it is that we're not getting communication. If we could have heard what was being said in that room in Stockley Park while they were fiddling around with that wheel, getting this thing backwards and forwards, we'd have an idea what we, what they were checking. And even if we totally disagreed, why the hell are you checking it? At least we'd know that's why you're checking it. And it, it it's just, 
you know, it, it feels like people don't want it to succeed. And this is one of the reasons why it shouldn't take this long. Um, you know, there's almost an argument to say, give them a 30 second countdown on how long they've got to make a decision. Um, it just takes too long. It, it should be quicker. And of course, European football nowadays, they have the, um, sort of AI stuff that helps them with offsides. So, you know, that saves so much time as well. I know you still need someone to sit on top of that and make sure the AI is not guessing. Um, although I was thinking earlier on, maybe a good use of AI could be some of these co-commentator jobs. They would probably do better than some of the co-commentators. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was a great goal, but that should have been a moment of excitement and joy. But you know what? Um, I'm sure Stephen Warnock probably said it, you know, it, it made everyone go a bit flat for a bit, didn't it? Waiting for the, uh, waiting for the result, waiting for the result from the VAR, but. To me, it just felt a nailed-on goal, and it was, um, you know, it was, it was a vindication of the change we made at halftime. The joy killing is ju- just not a good process, lads. <clears throat> just not a good process. You could even play dramatic music while the sort of, you know, exactly. the stadium while we're listening to the crowd. You know, fucking ha- ham it up. Exactly. Just go and ham it they, up. They, they put the line up really early in the replays, yeah. and it showed he was clearly on site. They put the line up, and Stephen Warnock is fucking bleating on about how Alexis has clearly fouled Ramsey. Ramsey didn't claim he fouled him. Fouled him. Ramsey just kept playing. And even if Alexis had fouled Ramsey, that had nothing to do with how the ball ended up with Harvey Elliott. Like, Ramsey didn't fall over. He didn't lose possession. The ball went to his teammate. His teammate then lost the ball. And I don't know how they're looking at an offside when his teammate is clearly the one that's played the ball to Harvey Elliott, it's just, it's absolutely mind blowing that it took them that long to, and it, it, was just, it felt really weird. Like the whole goal felt weird because when Diaz scores, he obviously celebrates in the net with the fans, but he comes out with the net and none of his teammates go to him at all. No, and there's no. like a, like a 10 second delay on all his teammates get over to celebrate with him. It's just a really, really strange sequence of events. But Stephen Warner kept going on. It has to be a foul. It has to be a foul. No, Stephen, it doesn't have to be a foul. Just because there was a, a challenge between two lads and you've deemed that one of them has fouled the other doesn't mean it's a foul. Yeah, well, for, for what it's worth, uh, <laughs> Gary Breen was exactly the same and... Oh, God. Jim, let's just take another little chunk of the game, uh, you and I here, because in the wake of that, Vincent Company picks up a yellow card. I presume he was uh, John, as as we'd say around here, at the linesman or something. He was less than pleased anyway. Uh, Maybe overheard Stephen Warnock. He probably has a hotline to Gary Breen and Warnock, I'd say. That's what he does, yeah. Uh, but, you know, the... Tempo was much better from us. Um, I really just, I, the, 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 the way we, the way we played in the immediate minutes afterwards, it was just good, good pressure from us. Uh, we got a corner in 57 minutes from nothing and uh, nothing came from it, but Endo with a great moment on the hour mark. Um, just, just cruising through midfield, playing a gorgeous through ball. That ends, that opportunity ends with a wild shot of volley. And on 62, Darwin has a volley himself. Saved from a brilliant Robo cross. And again, just maybe a, a moment to say that I thought that lad was very solid, all things considered, considering the rust level must be very high. Uh, mm-hmm. a, a very decent, solid um, Robo outing, I thought. 
But I wanted to finish with you with these two moments where they do feature uh, our fellow Irishman um, um, that myself and Dave have been talking about because Kelleher is kind of front and centre on 63 minutes when he saves absolutely brilliantly, I think, from Fafana, who burst through, I think it was past Kwanzaa, um, in on goal. Um, the follow-up effort is appalling. So it's a double let-off, really. But the first one is brilliantly saved by Quivian. It's all he can do. The ball breaks, and as it breaks we allow one of theirs to get to it and the follow-up effort like i say is poor it's it's it should be a massive massive wake-up call instead uh only three minutes later jim it's fafana in again on goal he comes in from the left towards the right and he rolls it wide across the face of goal as a kind in a kind of a shit thierry Henry uh effort that we've seen him bury in the bottom corner a million times his one was just poorly hit across the face of goal again it's a brilliant chance but you might say jim that kelleher does well with his angles here makes himself big enough to present very little of the target to the attacker. Overall, this would be the point at which I just say we should just acknowledge the thing you said earlier on. You know, he isn't getting enough games, but he did come in today and make some very, very valuable interventions. Yeah, and I think, you know, having a younger keeper doing that is 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 brilliant because they've not had that big match experience. You know, it's all well and good doing it on the training ground. It's all well and good, you know, playing an academy match or something. Um He's not had the benefit of being sent on, out on loan for a season, which, um, if you think about it, if he's this good when he's playing the odd game here and there, the odd League Cup game, the odd game when he's called in because of an injury, you know, how much better would he be if he was playing a full season as first choice keeper for someone? You know, we, we, we'd see a much better keeper coming back. The downside to that, of course, is Liverpool wouldn't have him on hand for moments like this. And, um, if you look at that, what he did in that first effort you were talking about, um, I can imagine, you know, goalkeeping coaches, sort of cutting, you know, clipping that bit of video and showing it to kids and saying, look, this is what you do in this situation. It felt like it was textbook, you know, how you deal with those situations. You know, if, if um, I'm sure goalkeeping coaches, they'll, uh, they'll know more about these things than I do, but it feels to me that head all in the right place. There's only so much you can do as a keeper, but you can definitely minimise the chances of um, of conceding in those situations. And he, to me, he did that. Um, but yeah, and I, and, I can't, and I can't fault him, you know, when the the other guy comes along and has an effort that goes wide, you still think, you know, if that had been a Man City or an Arsenal or wherever, then that probably would have gone in. Um, and that's the worry about those moments, that when we are um, cut open like that, you know, it's not going to be um, that player on the end of a sort of loose ball that comes from a good save. It's going to be some, you know, hot shot that can score goals. And this is this is the worry at times with Liverpool, that we, we, we can be cut open too easily, in my view. Um I don't worry too much though, because when we're playing the way we do, these things happen and we just sort of dust ourselves off, go up the other end and score another, you know, we react the right way to these things and it makes the game more exciting. I'd much, I'd rather have a season of 5-1 wins than, than 1-0 wins, you know, so, um, I, I can cope with it, but even so, it, it needs to be, it needs to be, you know, tightened up and again, another chance for them. They must have thought it was Christmas come early. Um, and I imagine company's going to be fuming because, Although I'm saying, you know, other teams, better, better strikers, going to make, going to finish those chances. These are not, these are still Premier League players. Um, you know, and company's going to be looking at and thinking, what the hell happened? And I can just think it sort of rushes the blood to the head. We see it with our players from time to time. Um, 
the difficulty for Burnley though is that where we see our players mess things up from time to time, you know, miss a sitter, and we, there's probably times today you can think back to when that happened, um, you know, don't take chances well, don't get the head over the ball and keep the ball down, all of these kind of things. You know, with Liverpool, there's how many chances going to occur in a game. For a team like Burnley playing at Anfield, there's not many. Um, you know, they were, they were, you know, they were, they were grateful for the chances, but didn't show the gratitude in the finish. Um, good for us. Quiz did exactly what we expect him to do. What, what you should expect him to do deserves credit for that. Um, but yeah, there's still a feeling that it could have been a very different game at that point. Um, and, and in a lot of ways, we hadn't done enough with the chances we'd had and with the ball we'd had. We looked good. But again, before that, you know, before, at this point in the game, we weren't putting it to bed. Yeah, the overall stats, you know, if Dave, Dave's rightly said earlier on that, you know, they probably did deserve, um, it, it, it was borderline for me whether they deserved or not, but they were probably absolutely entitled to their goal on based on the first half. But when the game eventually pans out, it's 25 shots to, by us. Uh, it, we're racking up those numbers. Possession was massive as well, wasn't it? A possession, 71%. 10 shots on target, um, you know, 86% pass accuracy, 650 passes the ball to their 271. It's, it, it is, it is, you know, statistic. And it's one of those, it's getting towards being one of those performances. But like you say, and you're right, you know, we have, we do have to put away chances. They'll be ruining their missed ones. And Dave, uh, next time, Jim, I come back to you, it'll be for your wrap up thoughts. And, and Dave, just before we get into the last little chunk, of the game, which sees us uh, cement the victory. I want to get your take on uh, Kelleher, just because we don't know how many times he's going to be called on. I would assume, I think it's going to be an honour thing, that he will play the League Cup final. I think he will. I just assume that it's his competition. I've heard lots of people say, oh, no, you you play Alisson or whatever. But um, I thought, to be fair, that save on 63 minutes from Fafana, Jim described as what? You know, goalkeeping coaches would say that's what you should do. Yeah, it, it, absolutely. Because we've seen Allison do that, who is the best goalkeeper in the world. We've seen him do that exact save so many times. And I think, again, within a couple of minutes, he got his shape and angles right again with the second Fafana chance. Yes, they could have done better. Yes, the follow up chance in the first one should have been slotted. Fafana should have been better with his finish on the second one. But the keeper can only do so much. And you know, a lot of daggers have been thrown his way. We've been brutally honest about him as well on yeah. here. Um, and it's good to be able to say nice things about the kid. Yeah, I, I thought he had a really good game today. Um, the first save from, or the, the save from Fafana, it's, it's a little bit weak by Kwanzaa. If we're being honest, it's, it's, it's a mistake by him. Yeah, he gets first pass. Yeah, it's a weak header and he just gets burst past when the ball turns around. But Kelleher does absolutely brilliantly. Flies out off the line, makes himself as big as as wide as possible, makes the save and then recovers as well. Because by the time the ball comes to Odebert and he like latches it wide, Kelleher is getting himself back into a goalkeeping position. Yeah. And then the second one, I actually think is I've seen some people blame Kwanzaa for that one. I think the second one is actually Endo's fault. Because Kwanzaa's dealing with it out wide. Endo is inside him. And when the ball gets lobbed over to Fafana, Endo has sort of abandoned the position he was in and left Fafana clean through. But again, Kelleher comes out, gets his angles really good. 
and makes himself big and hard to beat. And look, Fafana maybe should do a bit better, but it's he, Kelleher makes it a very difficult chance. He does. He so does. And that's all you can ask from. It, it's it's encouraging. We were saying he wasn't getting enough games. Um, maybe these kind of moments are the things that will help him be a specific part of the end of the season. I think selfishly, we'd all like to see Ali play every game between now and the end, because why wouldn't you want the best in the world playing in the position um, for your team? But if Quivian does have to play and if he's um, gifted the, the final, which I, I think would be very much the only. I think he should play the final. because yeah, I think he'll get it. Like you said, it's an honour thing. And, and Klopp has... He played the League Cup final two years ago because he earned the right to play in the League Cup final two years ago. And he's earned the right to play in the League Cup final this year because he's been the goalkeeper that's gotten us to the final. And is he Allison? No, because nobody's Allison. Yeah. But he's a good goalkeeper. He, and he's he, remembering he, that now, you see. That's the thing. Yeah, that's the thing. And like, we also have to, to, like, we have to look at it from a business point of view as well. Like, he may want to leave this summer. We will need to get the best price possible for him. And if he plays in a cup final, he's going to be more valuable to us in, yeah. you know, in terms of the transfer market. So I have no issue with him playing in that final. None. I think, I think the only thing that stopped the more recent stories was some comment Kloppo made and Kloppo's out of the equation now when it comes to Keller. So I think that's a very good point. <clears throat> The, the the better he does, the better for him and the better for us. Ultimately, it's it's a, it's win win. And if you and I look at the last chunk of this game, um, we the first thing that happens after that uh, second uh, Fafana chance is a, a yellow card for Darwin Nunes, who, as far as I could see, picked up a, a yellow card for being fouled. Um, all he did was lean into the defender on the break. If anything, I thought the defender eased him out of it. But anyway, he picks up a yellow card because, of course, on 70 minutes, we saw Jota uh, have a shot that was palmed away by the keeper after a good break by Luis Diaz on the left. There were some options opening up. Darwin was just in the wrong place. The ball had to go to Jota then. And Jota sort of improvises, has a little shot. Keeper full stretch, palms it away. There is a chance in 71 minutes after that corner that resulted from the Jota shot sort of broke. And it broke eventually to Virgil van Dijk, who headed the ball down. And there's Jarrell Kwanza with a beautifully hit swivel half volley. Mm. It's just wide. Uh, Virgil then himself has a header on goal um, from a Robbo um, uh, corner, but the keeper can get it easily enough and tuck it into his chest. And on 78, Harvey uh, cuts in, has a kind of a shot cross thing that's deflected for a corner. And from the corner, the ball breaks. And <laughs> this is where we go 3-1 up. It is Darwin Nunes. Again, it's Harvey Elliott eventually getting on the ball over on the right-hand side on his left foot, like he likes to do. He dinks in an in-swinger. Now, I, I don't think enough has been said about this, so I'm going to make a meal of it. And if you think I'm talking shite, feel free to tell me. But I think this is a really, really beautifully executed header. You got he, he had to arc backwards. He had to direct the ball. He had to put enough on it because it's a little dinked ball that it would go where he wanted it to go. I think it's low key one of the best header he, headed goals I've seen. And we had a really good one in the first half from a lad that was 
comparatively unchallenged, but he put it right where you want to put it. This one required a bit. I think it's a super finish uh, to put us 3-1 up. And just to sum up what happens after that, there are quite a few things. We really add to our stats in the last part of the game. Cody comes on and does get involved. Um, we see uh, Larson come on uh, for them as well. There's a dangerous ball in by Darwin to Cody on about 89. Darwin heads one over from a Rob O'Connor straight after that. Uh, we see Kwanzaa very good against Fafana in that injury time period. Um, Berger got the better of Endo in there as well. Mac has a shot from distance off a Darwin layoff on about 94 minutes. Darwin gets in himself on 95. His touch is great. And then his finish is absolutely shite. He's in on goal and he just pokes it straight at the keeper as opposed to lifting it or angling or anything that would have put it in the back of the net. It's a, he's clear in on goal. He then has a shot blocked. We make a trio of substitutions. Simicus, McConnell and Clark come on. And uh, we see a decent ball put into the box by Darwin on 97. But ultimately, nothing matters except the fact that he was the one who got that 3-1 uh, solidifier clincher goal. Uh, talk to me about that chunk of the game. Anyone you want to pick out, but do focus in on uh, the mentalist from Uruguay. I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> this is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, mag boxes and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. He is nuts, isn't he? He's absolutely bananas most of the time. But what I love is that he's he's starting to harness all of the, the chaos into quite a refined footballer now. He There's doesn't lose the, the ball, Dave. He doesn't lose the doesn't ball. He doesn't lose it at all. The ball he's, goes to him and sticks with him. He's a fucking like, brilliant out ball. Like, I remember that was, people used to talk about Harry Kewell. That's why Harry Kewell started the Champions League final, because he was a yeah. brilliant out ball. And we, we've had these people over the years who just didn't lose the ball. Uh, do you know, the ultimate one of those was uh, the much maligned and underrated uh, Dutch midfielder who, you know, Everyone wondered why he had his nickname of Ghost because he, he what does he do was the question. Yeah. That lad was the ultimate out ball. He never lost possession. And now Darwin gets the ball in these really difficult positions high up on the left hand side. He never coughs it up, Dave. No, never. And like we've got another one in our team who's who's following in Ginny Wijnaldum's footsteps in Curtis Jones. Just doesn't give the ball away. Yep. You give the ball to Curtis and it's going to be very, very safe. And to, to, to be honest, my answer to people who asked, what does Ginny do? 
was why do you even watch football? You clearly have no idea what you're talking about. Like, what are you? You know, what a bunch of twats. Like, but the thing with Darwin, like, you mentioned that Robbo cross and the Darwin volley earlier on, and I think it was flagged for offside. I'm not sure it would have been offside on 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 a review. Like the technical ability to just glance that shot perfectly on target. If anything, he makes too good a contact with it. Like he is refining his game really well, and we've talked about it on on Raw before. All the other areas of his game have just gone from like four and five out of ten to seven, eight, and nine out of ten. The last piece of the puzzle for him is the finishing. But you can see he's getting there. Like that header is by no means an easy chance. It's a little bit behind him. He's stretching for it. He's having to redirect and generate his own power. It's a really, really good header. With again with a defender sort of hanging all over him. It's a brilliant goal. It's so how does how, how does he do that? And then in ninety five minutes, where he's through on goal, in on the keeper after making an incredible touch. The first touch is incredible. It's, it's fucking fantastic. It's world class, and he's in, and he gives himself an opportunity for a toe poke finish, and he manages to toe poke it straight at the he, fucking he keeper. He pokes it straight at him because it's right in front of him. Like it's it's one of yeah. them where he's literally just running on to a ball. He's probably bollocks as well, to be fair, because it's there the fifth that. minute, yeah. and he's been running around like a lunatic. Yeah, um, he's probably the best in terms of chasing lost causes. He's probably the best we've had since Rush. Like Suarez was great at it, but Suarez didn't have Darwin's pace. He didn't have that physicality. Rush would chase those lost causes all day. And shout out for Dirk Kout, but I get where you're going with this. Dirk is, but Dirk was Dirk wasn't quick. Like Dirk had no, 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 not at all, not at all. You know, no. like but but. Rushy would chase balls into the corner and harass defenders and make it hard for them. And Darwin does that too. But I think it's just one of them. Like the first touch is absolutely immaculate. And I think he just gets his steps wrong. I think if, I think if he takes one more step and gets that bit closer to the ball, he can probably shift his foot and arc it round the goalkeeper. I assume he thought the keeper was going to close the distance on him because the keeper kind of comes down with his it might have been, yeah, he might have been trying to nutmeg him, but the keeper came out and stopped, and I, I don't know if Darwin thought he was going to come a bit for, a bit closer, and maybe he was going to try and like chip it over him if the keeper was was going out at his to dive at his feet. It's just a shame, like it, it should have he should have scored from that. It would have been a brilliant a brilliant endo assist as well because it's just a big punt up the field. But um, I felt sorry for Darwin at times today because he made a couple of unbelievably good runs, and Luis Diaz completely fucked the pop on, on both of them. There was one of the first half they had, I think they had a set piece and we got a counter on an opportunity down the left. And it was Diaz with Darwin running ahead of him. And all he had to do was knock it into space. That's all Diaz had to do, knock it into space and let Darwin open his legs and run after. And he sort of played it into the, in between his feet and his stride and it killed his momentum and it killed the opportunity. And then in the second half, we break through. Darwin is onside, dead in front of goal, 22 yards out. Diaz has acres of space to play the pass, and he doesn't, and he cuts back and then plays a shit ball to Jota. And he's robbed Darwin of a great opportunity there to get a goal. So 
I'm glad he got his goal, but it probably should have been. It should have been three today. He should have scored that late chance, and he should have. He would have scored, I think, if Diaz had played the right pass. So yeah, he, I think he was denied a hat trick today through a combination of a bad finish and a teammate doing a very silly thing. That was what I, my dream for the game was, was that Quivine uh, would have a worldie and uh, Darwin would get a hat-trick. And yeah, as you've described it, there was so cru- so cruelly close to that actually happening. By the way, just <clears throat> for the record, uh, screwed the pooch, becoming fucked the pup. That is by far one of the most disturbing things I've ever heard on, uh, uh, on live on, on the mic. It's tremendous work by yourself. Uh, I'll be back to you for your, your wrap up thoughts in a second, Dave and Jim. I'm going to get yours now. Uh, it feels like it, there was a lot of moving parts here today. Uh, it, it's hard to know where to focus your attention because, you know, these sum ups, uh, you, you know, there, there's a, like I say, there's a lot of targets you want to hit, but, just if you were to try to to wrap up how you feel on, at the end of that, r- reminding yourself that the pressure was on, we had to go back and be top of the league, and we did it. Um, it, it feels like this is just going to be the way for the end of, from here to the end of the year. Hopefully, it is going to be the way from here to the end of the year because I'd love it to be tight, which means we're still in in the reckoning, you know. Um, so, how do you feel at the end of that? And do at the very tail end throw us uh, a little flag for anything that's coming up from you during the week? Yeah, I mean, I think looking back at today and looking back at um, you know looking back a week ago, the game we're trying to forget about. Um, when you talk about Liverpool this season and in recent times when it's been going well, you, you think of all these sexy words about how great we're playing and stuff like that and all these you know, wonderful, exciting words to do with our attacking player and all the rest of it. But a, a word that's jumped out on me today is resilience because this group of lads is so resilient because, yeah, I had a blip last week, but all season we've not lost a game until that, apart from the game that the referees basically stole from us. We've, um, we've had so many players go missing and yet we've seen... Whenever we've had to, we've brought lads in who've come in and done a job that's that's made it feel like we're not missing those players. I mean, Kelleher today, prime example. Curtis Jones going out to right back um, because we've gone through so many fullbacks and we're down to the point where we need Curtis to play out there. And he did it. You know, McAllister doing a job deeper than maybe we'd like him to, but doing it well. Um, Endo coming straight back off his holidays um, and playing well. You know, and, and I mean, Darwin Nunez, the, the player that never stops, he never gives up. And you're right. I mean, there's so much about his character when he's saying about chasing lost causes. He just does not give up. He he just keeps going. Um, he probably was worn out for that effort towards the end because he puts everything into a game. But it's that, that way he plays is why he's so loved by the cop and why he's so loved at Anfield because, you know, we, we love a cult hero. And a cult hero can sometimes be a bit of a substandard player. But because they've done the right things the right way, the heart's been in the right place. You know, they're loved forever. But Darwin's got that. And Jim, Jim, you and I, you and I are, are are of a similar vintage. Do you do you recall anyone being as instantly loved and as loved in the face of all fucking circumstances as Darwin has? And like, of course, you know, when I say that, I'm talking about like if he has four or five misses in a row. He's the only player I've ever seen and nobody gets in his back. You and I have stood on, on, on various stands around the cop, uh, around the Anfield, but mainly on the cop. 
And you, the grumbles start fucking early. Like, Jan Malby often talks about how people used to get on Ronnie Whelan's case all the fucking time. <laughs> Ronnie Whelan. Uh, so my, my point is, have you ever, do you, like, we have a, we, like, we have a similar period that we can go back and delve into in terms of watching this lot. Uh, you have more time in the, in the stadium than I do by dint of the geography. Do you recall someone who was as beloved as this lad? I think, yeah, I think we've had players as beloved, but always because they've not had those moments where they've missed five out of six chances. They've <laughs> just been fucking like amazing. That, you know, because, yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, Salah's been beloved from, from the day he started, and Salah can miss a sitter, but it's such a rare thing for him to do that we just let him do it. And, yeah, I mean, the patience we've had for him is is off the scale, isn't it? We've had, that's the thing, it's about patience with players. Um, no one had patience with Ronnie Whelan for some reason. Um, you know, maybe at the time people just, we had high standards, high hopes, and I don't know. There's there's sometimes an element, especially in the old days at Anfield, where you know don't don't go praising people. You know they just need telling off when something goes wrong. So maybe there was a touch of that. But Darwin, yeah, he's just from the minute he's arrived, we're just taking him under our wing. I mean, Andy Carroll got a bit of love, didn't he? People called Darwin a, a, a shit. Andy Carroll, one of the most lazy songs you hear in, on terraces these days. Um, you know, Andy Carroll was potentially early days you could think maybe he'll turn out to be something great he didn't and i don't think he had patience like that you know i can't think of um i can't think of and and, and as it turned out with andy carroll it was just as well we didn't have the patience with him we didn't didn't need it, it wasn't up to standard um luis suarez was loved wasn't he but you know apart from when later on in his career when he's made the massive um errors i'll say um you know we had no reason to complain about luis suarez you know we we just got great stuff out of him every single game. And, and in a similar way, he was the kind of player that he was, he wanted to win. You know, there's so, that's one of the similarities between him and Darwin. Yeah. He wanted to win. He'd do everything he could to win. Um, in, in, in Suarez's case, just crossing the line a little bit every so often. And, um, I think that's, that's true. You know, Darwin's not, Darwin's, <sighs> there's just so much love for him at the ground. And I know, you probably know this yourself sometimes when you go to the ground you can be surprised if you've not been for a few games at how much how much love there is for a certain player compared to the stuff you're getting online and that that's always going to be the case it's a different you know it's a different audience that you're playing to i suppose and um i Anfield, people see what he does off the ball more and it's this hunger about him the whole time he's pressing and he's he's his determination and he's getting in the right positions and he's looking for the right players and if there is another old player i'm going to refer you know sort of comparing to it's one that always comes to mind is Paul Walsh. I can just remember for a good spell of time, Paul Walsh wasn't scoring goals and the back pages were full of criticism because he wasn't scoring goals. Because the whole narrative is if you're a striker, you score goals. These AI pundits that I was talking about earlier, they're just betraying that if a striker hasn't scored goals, he must be shit. They doesn't do anything else. I mean, Paul Walsh was setting up goals. He was, you know, distracting defenders so other people could score. He was doing plenty in games and Liverpool were winning those games. He wasn't getting the goals, but Liverpool were winning those games. It's been the story of Darwin, you know, it's, he deserves to be loved. Um, yeah. You know. Walshie got Kenny's jersey too, so it was a big, it was a big, uh, it was a big ask. It's a really good comparison actually, because there's that similar weight, that burden, uh, and, and, and the patience of the fans or the acknowledgement of the fans, because I think it's still the case that you get a better, a better class of football appreciator within the, um, four uh, stands of that particular ground than you do in most places. 
I derailed you there just to finish well your, your last your, your your last thoughts and your plugs. Yeah, I mean, just I mean, staying on Darwin, I think I kind of jumped ahead to Darwin quicker than I was planning to because um, he's just so good. And I think what I was thinking about with that header of his, it's like match of the day, you've sort of got a you nailed on for goal of the month and then maybe goal of the season with an overhead kick. This was like the equivalent of an overhead header, if that's, that doesn't make sense, but yeah, it feels, yeah. feels like that, you know, it's um, a bicycle header. Yeah. Yeah. Just plucking, <laughs> plucking a chance out of, out of midair basically and smashing it into the back of the net. Um, so many plays just would have failed miserably trying to do that. And I wonder how many more of these tricks that he's got up his sleeve that when his confidence is, is in full fling and he remembers how good he is um and he remembers to think at the right moment in that heat of the moment um it feels like you know there's a lot of instincts in him i've noticed lately he seems to be staying on side a lot more there was a bit of a frustration earlier in the season that he kept being caught offside he seems to be sorting that out to the point where um you know i wish some of the players would just release the ball a bit quicker because it's it's he's having to hang back longer than he should um but yeah he he never gives up, and that's that's why we love him. Just on the resilience thing as well, it's just um, it's important over the course of a season. When we were worried at the start of the season about the transfer window, was the squad deep enough? Did we have all the players for all the positions we want? And you know what? We can we can all probably say, no, we haven't got all the players for all the positions we want, and we can all probably think of money that we could spend. We could have spent this window just gone, that we could spend this summer. Um, the thing is, once that window's shut, you can't do anything about it, and it's the way that these players just... You know, just give it everything, so many of them, and just, just do the job they're asked to do. Um, it's very rare that you see a player not putting a shift in. Um, I'm not mentioning one player who's been a bit like that this season because it's unfair to keep picking on that young lad. Um, <laughs> you know, but, you know, youngsters coming on looking good, um, raring to go, giving everything, you know, really taking the chance. It's been, it's been amazing. And I think that's why I'm thinking resilient. That's what Liverpool are. And that could be what wins in the league. It's still in Liverpool's hand, isn't it? Um, quickly on the ref. I was more thinking of him being like a traffic warden, but then I think about it. Traffic wardens don't answer as inconsistent as him. I mean, a traffic warden just does you for whatever because it's the letter of the law. He just seemed to be randomly making decisions, the ref today. But, you know, <laughs> it wasn't a great ref, but I think given what we've had, he's still not. He's a long way away from being the worst ref we've seen in our games. And hopefully, you know, next time we get him, he does a bit of a better job. As for the VAR, I'm not sure what he was. I just think there's just, was he a conspiracy theorist? Like he thinks, you know, he thinks there's something, you know, he thinks the earth is flat and he's struggling to prove that the earth is flat. So he's hunting and hunting and hunting for ways to prove the earth's flat. flat. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Uh, And eventually, I don't know what happened. The VIR tech must have just sort of kicked him and told him, you've got got to leave it. It's done. You can't find it. Um, He's probably still screaming. He's probably still screaming in the VIR room that it was offside. Um, But no, Um, I loved that game today. We had the blip. It wasn't great. We were so feeling low, all of us. The club felt low. It just really knocked us for six. And probably we overreacted a little bit because, you know, given the season we've had, we've done so well. So much more than we expected out of these lads this season. Um, we still need them to do a little bit more. we still got quick maths. What is it? 14 games to go. Um we need him to do that for the next 14 games. And if if we see performances like today over the whole 90 minutes from the whole team, doesn't matter who scores the goals, who makes the saving tackles or whatever else, we will win the league if we play like we have done today. You know, just fixing those little issues that we saw just a little now and again. Um, and we always up our games for the big matches. And that's the thing. I'm not too worried about the games we've got to come. 
We've got the big match against City. We've got the derby, which could be fun. But, you know, I'm, I'm really feeling good about this side. And last week, this time last week, I had a slight worry about whether we just run out of steam. I don't think we had at all. Will there be scarcer Tommies to discuss this? I'm sure, yes. Um, we just did one on Friday and we did do a lot of talking about other things than today's game because we appreciated that there wasn't a lot of time for you to listen to it. So, um, we've had a good rant about the FA and the EFL and uh, cup final ticket allocations and much, much more. And of course, <laughs> we've discussed Everton because they're always worth a laugh. And we'll do another one. We'll get another one recorded at the end of this week looking ahead to next weekend's games. Tremendous. We look forward to it. Dave, take us home. Your wrap up thoughts and your plugs. Um, I agree with Jim's point about the uh, the referee kind of also resembling a traffic warden, but not behaving like a traffic warden <laughs> because they are consistently cunts, and he was not a consistent cunt, just a and the odd time kind of cunt, uh, occasional, occasional, occasional cunt. I can't be asked. Uh, more, more like so, a so, 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 so let me cut in here. I've got I've got three titles for this show. <laughs> I've got occasional cunt. <laughs> I've got bicycle header. And what was your one earlier on? Oh, fuck the pop. <laughs> I knew. So I was, I said, I was like, it's, that's not what I'm trying to say, but it's the same thing. So it'll do. <laughs> and then when I thought of it afterwards, I was like, you know, that doesn't sound great. Um, but I do live in Cavan. So, you know, we, we, the people say up here say rare things because they're rare people. <laughs> for the sake of, for the sake of poor Eddie's, uh, still holiday, uh, blood pressure, I will go with bicycle ladder. Uh, finish. Sorry. I, I cut across you. Do, do wrap us up there. Listen, I, you know, we, we won the game. We won the game. We had some really good performances. We overcame a rough half. We overcame the absence of nine players. We overcame the absence of our vice captain having to go off. So all things considered, there's nothing to complain about. It's a good three points. It, like Jim said, if we just continue to get three points in every game, we win the league. That's the only way to look at it. One game at a time. There's a week now until Brentford. There's all the possibilities that both Dominic and Mo will be back for that one. Ibu will be available again. You'd expect that Alison and Joe Gomez will both be fine by then too. So, I mean, there's, there's five starters who will be ready to go next week. You know, like there's nothing to be negative about in that game. I don't care if we play absolutely horrendous football for the next 14 league games if we win them all. I couldn't give a shit. Could not care less. I don't care if every game we play between now and the end of the season is utter shite as long as we win them. Because if we win all the games, we're going to end up with four trophies. Well, it's the the opposite story. We've seen we've seen um, glorious football, uh, romantic fucking beauty, Mm. and we don't end up going home and, and uh, with the trophy it's like yeah it's it's like to do a crossover at the buzz and sean connery's favorite line about prom queens you know liverpool have too often been the guy who doesn't go home and have his way with said lady uh i don't give a shit how we get this yeah league title in fact i think i might really enjoy it if we do it in a really shitty way oh yeah no, my my hope here is that like and i never wish injury injury on anybody but I'd love to see half of the city team have their hamstrings explode in the next two weeks and and have them crib and cry that the only reason you won the title is because we got injuries. Grand, I don't care. Where does it say that on the trophy, lads? You show me where in the trophy it says Liverpool 
only won it because of injuries. Yeah. Like, away to fuck. <laughs> How many injuries have we had this season? Nobody's had more injuries in the, among the elite teams than us. And yet we're just overcoming them week after week after week. So I hope we do it in the spawniest way possible. Like, final day of the season, last minute, City are top, we're level, they're winning, they concede a spawny goal, and then one bounces in off Darwin's arse or something. And that's how we win the league. Or, or even better, we win it with, like, some sort of controversial goal. And speaking of that, Sky, the fucking <laughs> the parcel that they are, have put out the highlights of today's game under the tagline, Liverpool Edge controversial win. Controversial. <laughs> Fuck's sake. We had 70-odd percent of the ball. We had 25 shots or something to their nine. We had well over double the XG of them. Controversial win. Like, just, like, no I'm one thinking, wants us like, to win the league. So that's that should be even more fuel to the fire for this group but, of lads. Well, the good thing is no one thinks we can win the league. So let them keep thinking it. Let yeah. them keep thinking it. Let them, you know, and it'd be so good looking down off the open top bus <laughs> at the end of the season saying, <laughs> listening to them and saying, well, but you were shite. Fuck you know what's great, right? You know what's great is Arsenal fans still crowing on a week <laughs> after their, their win last last weekend about how they're better than us so i asked them when were you better than us obviously you had a 19 game run at the beginning of last season where you were better than us but 19 games is not a season 38 games is a season so over the last 38 games prior to today prior to today we had taken 82 points to their 79 okay so over the last season's worth of games We've been better than them. Now, bear in mind that this season's games only accounted for a two-point advantage for us. So over the last 15 games of last season, when they were the best team in the world and had already won the league in November and December and January and February, we actually took a point more than them over the last 15 games. But I thought we'll go a little bit further back because they did have a great 19-game run. And there was 23 games in this season. But there was another 19 games of last season that I thought we should account for the whole lot of as well. Over the last 42 games prior to today, we had taken 89 points to their 82 points. So literally, since the beginning of the 16-17 season, which is Jürgen's first season at the club, they still have the great Arsene Wenger. That's eight seasons, though. Eight full seasons. They've been better than us for one run of 19 games. One. That's the that's the Netflix documentary series title, isn't it? Yeah. The Great Run of 19 Games. Like, where the fuck do they get the, the arrogance to claim that they're better than us? Like, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable how often this team gets written off. And yes, this team, we're not expected to be in this position. This team are outperforming expectations, outperforming probably some level that they're probably suited to. Like, we know this is not the finished version of what this team could have become. Now, it's going to become the it's the finished version for Jürgen because he's leaving. But a new manager is going to come in next season, walk into arguably, like, it's very hard to think of a time at, at Liverpool, at City, at Arsenal, at United, at Chelsea, at Spurs, over the history of the Premier League, it's very, very hard to think of a time 
when any manager is going to walk into a situation as good as what our next manager walks into, where they inherit the best goalkeeper in the world, the best centre-back in the world, arguably, when fit, the second best centre-back in the world, you can make a strong case still for Trent as the best right-back, even if he no longer wants to play there. A tremendous group of attackers, a very promising group of midfielders, an academy that's churning out talent, and a whole bunch of other players like Joe Gomez and Andy Robertson and Curtis Jones and Cody Gakbo and whoever else you like. It's, it's, it's so rare. And I don't, I genuinely don't think it's ever happened in the Premier League era where a manager walks into a, a stronger situation as what Jurgen is leaving behind. It's the most attractive job, I think, in the game that has been for a while, you know, to, of all the job adverts to be reading now. Be taking over Real. Yeah. That would be the only one because Barcelona are a financial mess. I'm currently watching Bayern Munich play against Leverkusen and Eric Dyer is starting for Bayern Munich in, in big old 2024. Eric Dyer, who Ange Postacoglu decided to play fullbacks instead of when all his centre backs got injured. And he's starting for Bayern Munich. Nobody would want that Bayern job. Like, because unless you win a Champions League at Bayern, you're a failure. Winning league titles, everybody does that. Like, the, the, what other job is going to be as attractive as this Liverpool job? Like, I know people criticise the owners. We've all criticised the owners at different points. But they're they're solid, reliable owners. Like, they're not... They're not imbeciles like Bowley who'll sack you because you have a bad run of games, even though he's just given you the best part of a billion quid to spend. He, he's just paid 20 million to buy you out of a contract at a different club. He gives you six months. Like, we don't have those type of owners. Our owners are risk adverse. They're very reliable. They're sustainable minded, sustainability minded. <clears throat> this is such an attractive job and it could be even more so. If said new manager gets to walk in to a team coming off the back of having just won the Premier League, riding high with a bunch of young players who've, you know, like Dominic and, and it would be the first time Curtis has played a major role in winning a league title at Ebu and like those kids, they'd be bouncing into next season. Yeah. And you'd have second time around champions like Virgil van Dijk and Trent, yeah. Alexander-Arnold. And Ali Hager and Mo Salah, who, who are, are now like, right, you know what? This is what the, we do. We won it the last time and we didn't hammer home our advantage. We didn't yeah. take advantage of, we didn't go back to back. Now we want to go back to back. Like, honestly, I, I couldn't be more enthused about where the club is heading. And I know, I know Jürgen's leaving and that's tough for all of us. I, as I said before, losing Jurgen the man is far harder for me than losing Jurgen the manager because of what he's leaving behind. I don't think this is anything like when Ferguson left United or, or Wenger left Arsenal. They That's, left clubs needing entire rebuilds, power vacuums, yeah. messes. Behind the scenes, United have been a mess for 10 years. Arsenal have finally got their shit together, but like they're 620 million into a rebuild pretty much the finished product and their ceiling seems to be third and they're the thickest fans in, in the country as well they'll be calling for Arteta to go if they're you know if they're fifth in the middle of September 
And the rest of the next time the Manchester City job comes available is probably because the Premier League have finally done what they should have done five years ago. Yeah, that's the thing. And that, yeah. that's the other factor in this, is that the next that. guy, but the, but even if they don't get relegated or anything like that, Pep is not going to be there for another 10 years. So the next guy, be it Alonso or whoever, is not going to spend his entire tenure having to go head-to-head with the richest club in the world and arguably the best manager who's ever managed. Like, I wouldn't I wouldn't say he's the best manager, but he's certainly got a case for it. Yeah. The next guy's not going to have to go head-to-head with that for eight years. Whoever they get... Now, look, whoever we get next is going to be a drop-off from Jürgen. But whoever they get next will be a significant drop-off from Pep and may not be able to hold it together quite as well as Pep has. Pep is... like. To give Pep his credit, like it, it does take a special type of manager to to do what he's done over the last fifteen years. The sheer volume of winning is incredible. Whoever they get next, if it's Arteta or somebody, like they're not going to be able to do that. In the meantime, we have to hope that you mentioned him earlier on. The the Ferguson effect kicks in for the rest of this season with Liverpool, and by that yeah. I mean. United won that last league basically entirely on the uh, personality and presence that was Alex Ferguson. That's yeah. what happened there. Anyone who wants to tell you otherwise is talking shit. And the difference is they had a little bit of extra advantage there because Ferguson could look funny at a ref and things might happen. There was always the United third half that happened in games if they were behind or level. But... Jurgen Klopp is a sufficiently large personality that you never know what might happen. And if anyone has enough about him to force something over the line, you see him now going to three sides of Anfield at the end of this game, Dave, to do the fist bumps. If it's going to get walked over the line by anyone and any force of personality, this is the guy to do it. And, you know, it's, it, it's, a, it's a good, it's, 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 we're set up, as Jim said, we're set up for a fantastic run in here. And hopefully it's going to be very exciting from you during the week. What can we expect? Um, Daily Red every day, two-footed every day. Myself and Dave Davis have recorded a couple of podcasts on potential managerial candidates, so they'll be out. I believe there's a buzz to come out as well uh, this weekend, and oh, I'm sure there'll be something else at some point. No doubt. We have gone long, but it seemed worth it. There's a lot to talk about. It's a really unique position in the history of the club. It's a unique position, therefore, in the history of this channel, documenting the history of the club. I'm glad you're along with us for the ride. That was Dave Hendrick. That was Jim Boardman. Guy Drinkle produced. I'm Trev Danny. This is Raw, and we'll be back with you very soon. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports
Social Podcast Network.